Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Two Footed Tackle podcast. I'm your host, Aristomatakos, and we are here with episode four of the new season. Yes, episode four of the new season. It was the second weekend of the Premier League um, season that just occurred. As I pull my camera back in focus, probably should have done that before I started recording, but yeah, we started now, so I'm not gonna not gonna go back and do it again. Um, I hope everyone's well. I hope everyone hope everyone's weekend treated them nicely. Mine didn't. Both my sporting clubs managed to break my heart in the most frustrating and soul destroying manner, which is just exactly what you want from your from your sporting clubs um of course Chelsea which we'll touch on now we'll touch on Chelsea and then of course Carlton in the in the old Australian Football League really really did its best to drive me over the edge but I mean it is that's sport isn't it and despite me covering sport a lot and me speaking about sport a lot I really don't like it sometimes and this is one of the weekends where I wish I didn't have support a team because I came to this conclusion actually, and I came to this conclusion whilst in the aftermath of the Chelsea Spurs game as well. Sport is so much better when you don't support a team. I just thought I just I just I don't need maybe it's just me, and I feel like it might be just me, but I don't need the stress. I just don't need the stress. I just don't need it. Like I like I thought of this example last year, the final day of the Premier League, right? Chelsea had no involvement, right? We had made top four. We were playing Kennedy on the left uh, at left wing back. It was good vibes, right? It was just taking the piss, and I loved that day because I didn't care. Now all of a sudden I care because Carlton's actually being okay for once, and Chelsea are always, always in the in the limelight. I care too much, and I just can't do it. So. It's either gonna it's either gonna force me over the edge and me just stop watching sport, or I'm gonna have a heart attack and just not and just my heart will just be like you know you can't do this. I can't go at 150 beats a minute every Saturday afternoon because you're too emotional about your sporting team. So I think one of those two events will occur. Um, not sure which one it'll be. I would I would put it this way. I hope it's not the second one. I hope I'm still here. Put it that way. That'd be good. Um, I just, but I just don't see a way in which I don't support my teams, but I also don't see a way in which I can get, I won't be able to get more emotional or, sorry, I won't be able to get any less emotional, um, about them. So maybe I just need to see Chelsea win a Premier League again and then I won't care. And now I would never see Carlton win a, win a flag and then I won't care either. But anyway, that's just something that I thought of and that's just my little tangent to start this episode because... We've got some things to talk about, and there's just a couple of teams that just really, and a couple of teams, a team, Manchester United, we're going to speak on them, because just fuck me dead, like, that's all I've written down on my run sheet, I've just written Manchester United, FMD, fuck me dead, so we'll touch on them, we'll touch on the Spurs-Chelsea game, because that was a disgrace. Um, we'll touch on, and I will also touch on a manager scrap Hunger Games. So let's just go with the top six because I'm not doing all twenty managers. Who wins in a Hunger Games within the top six managers? We'll touch on that as well because I feel like that's a good, considering the events that occurred in the in the Chelsea Spurs game. Um, it'll be good to touch on that, and then who went into footed, which no surprises who it is this week, and then obviously we'll preview the week. So. Apologies if I'm a bit if I'm yawning throughout this episode. I'm a bit tired. No real excuse because I woke up at like one thirty, so I mean, there is no real excuse. But um, I, my excuse is that Chelsea and Spurs finished at four o'clock, so that I'll I'll I'll, I'll give myself uh, that as an excuse. But as there yeah, you want again. But let's just go into it. Four and a half minutes in, I, I ramble for too much. Let's touch on let's touch on the team. That kick not didn't kick off the weekend, but really made a lot of people in a lot of different places smile, and that was of course Manchester United. Now they fell f- to Brentford four goals to nil, which is just the funniest thing to have potentially ever happened in the Premier League. Um, and once again, I remain very very neutral um, in my discussion of them, but. It's just bizarre, utterly bizarre, how a team with the quality in places 
can perform like a bunch of 12-year-olds and act like a bunch of 12-year-olds. Ten Hag, I mean, I mean, we've all we all know how much I rave about Eric Ten Hag. That's no that's no real surprise, but I feel like he got it. I mean, yeah. So I feel like it's a good segue. Let's just start with the game before I touch on everything else. If I speak on the game first, and then we'll speak on the aftermath. I think Eric Ten Hag got it wrong at selection. The why you're playing Christian Eriksen as a as a defensive midfielder is beyond me. I just. I just don't get it. So you've signed Ericsson and you've played him in two different positions in the opening two games of the Premier League season. I don't get that. Why Luke Shaw is starting over Malassia? God knows how Harry Maguire is still starting and how Harry Maguire didn't get subbed off at halftime is beyond me. Um, I thought attacking-wise, Bruno needs a spell. I reckon. I just don't think he's mentally checked into the season yet. I feel like not a lot of players have checked into the season mentally yet. Um... Delow a right back. I think he's a better option than Wambasaka. So yeah, and then David de Gea, who I mean, I mean, I I'm not I'm not gonna come out come here and say oh, I I knew like oh how obvious is it that de Gea is not good enough and me saying that oh yeah I've been raving about how de Gea is not good enough for ages because I haven't right I haven't really paid a that much attention and b didn't really think that de Gea is that bad of a goalkeeper. I think shot-stopping-wise, history dictates that shot-stopping-wise, he's one of the best in Europe. Playing out from the back, he leaves a lot to be the so, des, des, desired. And then, like, commanding of area and sweeper-keeping, stuff like that, he's not great either. But I think as a pure shot-stopper, there's worse out there, especially in the Premier League. So I didn't think anything of it um, in terms of... I, didn't, I, I don't think his future is questioned at this stage because I feel like there's a lot b- bigger issues for United than... A goalkeeper, as a yard again. Um, so yeah, but obviously the first goal, that's not even bad luck. That's just poor. That's just poor technique. I think you ask any goalkeeper on any at any level. That's just poor technique. It's not even. It's not bad luck. It's not unlucky. It's just poor. It's just poor goalkeeping. Um, so that obviously came from the first goal from Brian and Buemo. I think it was. Oh no, Josh De Silva. My bad. Josh De Silva with the opening goal. The second goal, like, why are you passing to Christian Eriksen in that position? Like, why? Why is that? A, why is that even an option that you're considering? Like, it's not even, it's not even a pass that should be made. It's you. You don't meant to play that as under any circumstance. Like, you can see that he's under pressure. You can see that Eriksen's right in front of you. Behind him is. Jensen, I think it was, who ended up scoring. Why pass the ball to him? You had you had Harry Maguire on your right, just free. Or Martinez on your right, just free. He can pass the ball there. Or, God forbid, just kick the ball long. Like, you don't have to pass it out from the back every single time. Just kick the ball long if there's nothing on. There's no harm in that, right? you got Ronaldo up there. He might be able to win a header. Like Anyway, obviously, he passes to Eriksen, who turns it over because he's... Because someone's up his ass, like... I'm not sure that's Ericsson's fault. The only thing Ericsson could have done is kicked it out for a corner. Like, um, So anyway, yeah, the ball gets turned over. They score. The third goal came from... Well, was the third goal of the, the Ben Mee, was it, were corner? Yeah. But like a, a corner goal, I mean, you can't really put a lot of blame on a lot of people for that, but I thought the Hague could have done better there. Defensively... Just a shambles. Just no one really just commanding any area. And then the fourth goal. Can't ever remember the fourth goal to be honest. I think it was a, like a pass across goal, like a a low cross. I think. Um, yeah. The out muscles look sure. Brian and Bueno as fop mobbers quite um, articulately described to me. Um, 4-0, game over, Brentford kind of put the foot off the pedal and just kind of relaxed. Um, could have could have scored six, probably should have scored six, but I'm not really sure they care. It's just something that I just don't understand what's going on. I don't get it, because if we bring up the average positions right here from Eric Ten Hag, now, a couple of things to note while I touch on these, these average positions is I don't hate it. 
I don't hate it. I've I've seen worse systems. And and can I just bear in mind the reason I use average positions and the reason why I use heat maps and like FB scouting report FBRF scouting reports is because it's a good way to just summarize a lot of things, right? I, I if I wanted to, I could break down phases of play for you for United in defense, mid, like offensive third, midfield third, and defensive third. And I couldn't, and I could really dissect heat map game by game, but it's and but we'd be here for four hours, right? And although I would lot quite like to speak about this for four hours because I find it fascinating, it's probably not good viewing, right? So the reason I use average positions and the reason why I use heat maps and FB scout, FB ref scout report, it's scouting reports is because it's just a good summary of what occurred. I feel like they're very, they're quite reliable in terms of that. As long as, long as you watch the game, um, you could like add your insights there. But I just that's the reason why I use them, right? So I'm not saying this is the be all and end all. I just think it's a good summary of what happened and what occurred, and it's a good, it's a good, it's a good way to to succinctly tell a story. Now, these average positions here show a quite clear system, right? It's it, it's a two four four, um, quite quite obviously. And what I spoke last week about Rashford and Sancho being those inside forwards, I liked, and you could see here a little bit Rashford more so than Sancho. Uh, Rashford being that like half space um attacker playing being that inside forward getting in behind the defense. I like there's something that that um me, that sorry that Ericton Hag did at Ajax quite quite well last season with obviously Haller dropping deep, you had Anthony on one side, um Tadic as well dropping in and then you had the left winger pushing on being that like advanced advanced kind of outside striker. I like that. I really do. I, f I think the positioning of the fullbacks generally is quite good. I'd feel like they're not overcommitting at stages, but they also provide a lot in terms of like an offensive just place to be. I think Luke Shaw's not good enough. I think they have to commit. I think they have to commit with Malassia. Um, I feel like he's just better technically than Luke Shaw and he's more adaptable, to, more adaptable than Luke Shaw. I think Delo played fine. I don't think Delo is needs to be replaced by any means. I feel like he's I feel like Delo's capable of being um serviceable for this first season anyway. I thought he wasn't he was not the worst of the defenders by any means. Um and then obviously the double pivot they dropped McTominay. Um I said last week that if you just replace one of McTominay or Fred it'd be a different team. I didn't mean that with Christian Eriksen. Can we just clarify that? I didn't mean that you should play Christian Eriksen as a defensive midfielder, but I digress. Um, he, they played Eriksen like this, this is where I have to pull blame on Ten Hag. Why are you doing that? Like for what reason are you playing Eriksen as a defensive midfielder? He's never played in that position in his in his life. He's not a defensive midfielder. At worst, he's a box to box midfielder. At absolute worst. Not in a double pivot, not a single pivot, nothing defensively for Christian Eriksen. Doesn't have the physique, doesn't have the build, doesn't have the the nuance of playing a defensive midfielder role. Not good. Just don't do it. Like you're actually better off playing McTominay there. I'm being genuine. Like I'm being genuine because at least McTominay is six foot three or six foot four. Like Eriksen's a, Eriksen's not a presence at all. So at least, at least what you get with McTominay, despite him being a dreadful footballer and a, a, a shocking technical footballer, at least he's six foot four. So at least he can win some headers, throw his weight around, get a yellow card, exact like etc. Right? Eriksen won't give you that. That's that's probably one of the areas I have to put the blame on Ten Hag. He apparently he instructed his team to not play out of the back in this game, which is exactly how you need to play against Brentford because Brentford are similar to Chelsea in an, to an extent where they like to stretch the pitch. So there's a lot of space. Like there's a lot of they they keep their depth quite well. Brentford Brentford keep their depth out of possession quite well. They press really high and the defense sits quite deep. That's obviously to prevent long balls. I mean, balls over the top and like being able to be if you if you're passed through that first layer of of the press, you have the other layer of press to like kind of mitigate the damage in a sense. What you what what the way to beat Brentford is to be more direct. I think that's obvious. I don't. I, I, I and and I think Ten Hag said in a post match interview. I told my team to go long and to go to the space that's there because of how because of how much I keep their depth. You can only, there's only so much space eleven players can cover over a full pitch or over three quarters of a pitch, so there's going to be space in behind or in between the like, in the gaps, 
he apparently told his team to exploit those gaps and they just didn't listen. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if he's kind of putting blame on his players, but if that is the case, you can't put any blame on Ten Hag for doing that because he had the right idea. His players are just incompetent enough to not do it. Like, whether it's just being cocky or or arrogant or precious, I don't know what it is, but I feel like it was it was some, summarised perfectly in that De Gea goal. Like, why are you doing that? Like, I, that pass is potentially one of the dumbest passes I've ever seen in my life. It, 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 just kick the ball long, man. It's like, it, people, people like, and I know a lot of managers are like, we want to play, play out from the back at every opportunity. You speak to Pep Guardiola, you speak to Thomas Tuchel, you fucking hell, you speak to Steven Gerrard, you speak to Nagelsmann, you speak to Zidane, you speak to Benitez, you speak to Ancelotti, you say, all right, yeah, if I want my team to pass out from the back, but there's no option for passing out of the back, like there's no player free, yeah, kick the ball long. Don't risk turning the ball over. Like it's it's not rocket science. Don't think you're smarter than what you are. Which is the frustrating thing because it's such a, it's such avoidable mistakes, yet they keep happening time and time again. And I think De Gea cost them the, four, the three points. I don't think that's debatable because the first goal comes and the second goal comes purely because of his errors. And if the first goal doesn't come, the second goal wasn't, doesn't come and etc. etc. So I'm not saying it's De Gea's fault, although it is, but there's a lot like if you want to put the blame on one person for this game, yeah, blame De Gea, but... I don't think it's right to I don't think it's right to to blame any one person on this team because you're against Brentford and you're not even creating a chance, like a, a half decent chance. It's quite staggering to be honest and it's quite just appalling It's weird because you look at that front line, Ronaldo, Rashford, Sancho, Bruno in behind, okay. That's probably talent for talent. That's top minimum top six of the Premier League, right? That's probably it's probably sixth, but it's top six in the Premier League. And by virtue of it being top six in the Premier League, it's probably top fifteen in Europe, in terms of talent for talent. That tops that front four, right? How does that front four not even create? One, I can't remember one guilt edge chance, and that's not tactically. That's giving a shit because because we saw it and I think I think it's best it's best kind of it's best shown or it's best depicted with Real Madrid. The reason I say that is because Real Madrid don't really have a style of play. They don't really have a like a proper style of play that is systematically based. It is really Vinicius and Benzema kind of doing the brunt work for a midfield four, that's Valverde, Cruz, Modric, Casemiro, right? Obviously, I know with Camavinga and Chilmeni, it'll change. Um, but Vinicius and Benzema have quite clearly developed a pattern of play that they can go to if things aren't happening, where they will know that they can create chances because that's what good quality players do. And that's what good quality players that actually care for each other and care and, and actually care to win do. You don't just rely on the manager's tactics, you have to, with your strike partner, with your wingers, with your fullbacks, you have to say, okay, if, if if these tactics aren't working, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put this cross from this area into this position and I'm going to be there. Or I want you to play this pass, I'm going to make this run, you play it to me, make this run, I'll play it back to you. It's just to create something. Because that's what good players do. That's why you're seeing the likes of... That's why you saw the likes of... Chelsea last year struggled because there wasn't really that connection between the front line in terms of there's no there's not like a real all right the tactics aren't other okay the tactics aren't working this is what we're going to do to win with Liverpool the exact opposite how many times have did last season and even the season before Liverpool were playing like dog shit and then all of a sudden Mane to Salah Salah to Diaz goal Diaz to Mane Mane to Salah goal just because they have that intrinsic knowledge with each, with each other that, okay, if the tactics aren't working, I know I know where Salah will be. I just need to get the ball to him. He knows where Diaz will be. And get the ball to him, he'll score. Because we have that contingency plan of, right, if the tactics, tactics aren't working, we're going to go to this. United's front four doesn't have that. They don't ever have a, sh a glimmer of that. They don't... Despite having the individual quality, they don't have... Like... 
they have the individual quality, but they don't have the individual quality. It's quite weird the way that United's front four is kind of built because Ronaldo can turn a game on its head. Sancho can rip any defender in the world apart if he wanted to. Rashford on his days borderline unplayable. And we saw Bruno how good he can be in the back end of 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 not last season, the season before, and even last season he was good. I th- I just don't understand how they ha- haven't been able to to score who they versed in the opening go day. How do I not remember? <laughs> they versed Brighton. They versed Brighton. And they lost. And they scored a goal, right? But it was an own goal. So they really haven't scored a goal. How did I forget that? I don't know. I literally talked about it last week. They played two games, conceded six, scored none. Let's be honest, right? Yeah, all right. Scored one or scored a half a goal. They are compromised. How that hasn't, how that has happened, is quite concerning. And the fact that they're versing Liverpool next week is quite concerning as well. This could end badly, badly. This could be. This game could go either one or two ways, and I'm I'm as well to give my quick preview of it now. But I can see either Liverpool winning six 0 or United scraping a two one. It's going to end either of those two ways. Liverpool won't win this game 2-0. It won't be like a scoring the 36th minute and scoring the 65th minute. It'll be a 6-0 or United win just because of the emotion and Old Trafford. I'm assuming it's at Old Trafford just based on where both sides played this week. But like, like you know what I mean when I say that. Like, it's it's going to be that emotion char- emotional emotion-charged game that I can see United pipping, but it won't. But it'll just be papering over the cracks. It won't be the start of something, and it won't be a... Like, it won't show that they've improved. I think this is the point I was going to make just before. This United side is, was massively papered over the cracks with Bayer on Solskjaer. Massively. The reason I say this is they finished second under Solskjaer. Under Ole. Season after he got sacked in January. Now, the reason why, and I've spoken about this quite a bit, go back to the early episodes of last year to hear me speak about this. In the season they finished second, in the season they finished second, yes, it was because obviously Liverpool were poor, Chelsea sacked their manager, etc. But the reason why, like, so. The reason why the change from second to sacked in six months is because Ole in that season and even in the season, even 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 in the time before that season, what he had set up in that for that team was counter attack. It was numbers behind the ball, Rashford, Martial, Dan James, these guys, counter attack. Bruno, counter attack. Individual brilliance from Bruno, counter attack. So when you take away that system, we we saw Harry Maguire was so good at Leicester and he so and was so good at and he's good at England level, is because both teams play pragmatic styles of football. They play pragmatic styles of football that's quite reactive and quite de- dependent on what the other team plays. How many times in that season under, with Ole where they finished second did we say, "Oh my God, how did United win that game? The other team dominated." Is because. Ole's way of playing was let's sit back here teams on the counter and because they have unbelievable players that they have players that are so dynamic up front they can do that that's why Harry Maguire was kind of hidden in a sense for that season where they finished second was because it was him and Lindelof or Bailly playing as kind of like on their on their on their box on their 18 yard box that's what he played that's what he did against Leic- with Leicester that's why Luke Shaw was so good that season as well is because they were oh, my camera keeps going in and out of focus so um they were playing on their 18 yard box so there was less room for error because all you needed to do was just head the ball away clear the ball long ball clear the ball long ball it's hard to stuff that up the worst thing that happened to Manchester United was two things 
believing that they were better than what they were, and signing Sancho, Ronaldo, Varane. With, if after they finish second, I yeah, I think that season when they finished second massively papered over the cracks for how poor that squad was, how poor that squad was. Because it was, it's not, it's not a good team. Like technically, it's not a good team. And they finished second because of that reason I told you. I just said it for the counter-attacks and the pragmatic way of playing football. They signed Sancho, Ronaldo, Varane, and all of a sudden the expectation is, okay, you're going to have to dominate games now. You're going to have to be on the front foot, have 65% possession, win games 3-0, dominate teams, play them off, pass them off the park. That's not Ole's way of playing football. He does not know how to do that. You saw it. He's another perfect example. Newcastle United finished fifth. The reason they finished fifth was because... Alan Pardew at the time, I'm 95% sure it was Alan Pardew. Good man manager, understands the counter-attack system. So when teams, obviously it's plucky Newcastle, so teams would go at them thinking we're going to go over to St. James and steamroll them. They get hit on the counter with Ben Arthur, with Cissé, with Barr, with all these players. And then the next season after they finish fifth, down the shitter they go because everyone's now, okay, you finish fifth, now it's time to start dominating teams. Same thing that happened to United. And Ole's way of playing football was so different to controlling games that it kind of set... Well, my bad as I knocked my microphone. It kind of set the club back around about five years. Maybe ten years. Because now the expectation is you finish second under a shit manager. Why can't you do it under one of the best coaches in the world? And it goes. it comes down to... Look at the way they were playing against in that season under Ole where they finished second. It was shit football, but it was effective. Now the expectation of Man United is we have Sancho, Ronaldo, Varane, got to dominate, got to, got to dominate games, got to have sixty five percent possession. Where this team with McTominay, with Harry Maguire, with Luke Shaw, with Fred, with Rashford, it's not suited to that way of playing football. They they need a whole redevelopment and re-institutionalized way of thinking. They need a fundamental reset from youth level to the first team level to board level. They need a fundamental reset. And to be honest, I could genuinely see it coming A, at the expense of Eric Ten Hag, which I God hope it doesn't happen because Ten Hag is the man in my opinion. He just doesn't have the resources. But the thing is with football is that there's always next year. And I know I know a lot of fans will hate that rhetoric, but it's like this isn't the be all and end all. If you don't win the league this season, relax. There's another there's a season next year, there's a season after that, there's a season after that, and guess what? There's a season after that. So why not take one step back to go two steps forwards? Why not? Absolutely like fair play to them, they've already guarded the squad out. Lingard, God, Mata, Matic, Henderson, Pogba, these guys flushed out. Good, good start. But the recruitment has been diabolical, like appalling recruitment over the past half a decade. So, so, like, like what, like what players could you say have been deemed a success for United that have been signed in the past five years? Bruno, okay. Sancho, jury's still out. Maguire, no. Shaw, I mean, he was more than five years ago. McFred, no. Martial, no. Like, the recruitment's been horrendous. That's another facet of that club that just needs utter, like a... Where does this end? I don't like. I, I can say they need a reset all, all, all I want, but where does it end? I'm confused. And United fans, if you have more of an idea, let me know um, in the comments on YouTube or tweet me. But like, I just don't know where this club goes from here because I don't know. Maybe I overestimated or over or overrated Eric Ten Hag. Maybe he's not someone that can come in and change the fortunes of the club. I thought he. I thought he. I think he is. At this stage, I do think that he has that ability to do that. So, I guess the jury's still out on him. And it's about improving players. 
I think if you I think Fred and McTominay are a midfield double pivot that don't work and we've seen it not working countless times. But there's bases of players there. McTominay is tall and he has a physical presence. So just fix up the technical aspect a little bit and you'll be fine. Fred, he runs around a lot. He's very energetic, that boy. So if you just fix up the technical aspect of his game, it could be okay. I just don't understand. I just don't... I'm kind of lost for words as to where this team is going to go. I have no real prediction. Um, This is probably one of the worst losses they've had in a long, long time. I think it's worse than the 4-1 last year against Watford, worse than a 5-0 against Liverpool because this is against a team that hasn't been in the Premier League ever. Is that what what happened last year? They have never been in the top flight of... Or maybe they've been in the top flight, they haven't never been in the Premier League. Second season in the Premier League and they get smacked up 4-0 by a team that is better run, by, by a better run club. Fact. There is probably about 16 better clubs in the league that are better run than Manchester United. Maybe even 17, potentially even 18 clubs that are better run than Manchester United. Um, and people were saying, oh, you're still, you still make the top four and all this stuff. But, like, where they go from here... It's almost as if you can make a movie. <laughs> like, it's almost as if you can make a movie based on United and the, and their traje- trajectory because it's almost like a Hollywood... It's almost like the three-act structure, right? And for those who did media, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But we're at the depths now. We're at the depths. Like, we're at the conflict stage. We need a resolution. But the thing is, I feel like it's just... This is what United are doing. They've started Act 1. They've finished Act 1. They've gone to Act 3, realised, oh shit, this is shit, this is rubbish, and have gone back to Act 1 and just keep doing Act 1 over and over and over and over and over again. There's no... There's no kind of... In terms of like a rebuild... They just keep doing the same. They just keeps. It's almost as if they're starting the rebuild every year. <laughs> That's almost what it's like. They get rid of these players. They get rid of these players. They bring in these players. They're shit. They get rid of them. They bring in more players who are shit. They get rid of them. They're bringing more players. Bring in this coach. This coach is shit. Get rid of him. Bring in this executive. He's shit. Get rid of him. Sell the club. Any bet the new owners will be shit somehow. That get rid of them. Fucking just. We're doing the same thing. Groundhog Day every single day for Manchester United. It's quite bizarre, and the Chelsea supporter in me wants this to continue, but the football supporter in me wants United to be as good as they can be, because as much as I had to say, the good United, it's good for the league, um, it's good for football. You want you you want the most prestigious clubs to do well. I love the elite as well. I love the elite in sport. That's why I. That's why I, Manchester City of kind of frustrated me with their success because I don't think they're like the elite. If, of course they're elite, but you know what I mean when I mean the elite. Like like Liverpool and Arsenal and United are the elite. Like AC Milan are the elite. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. Anyway, I think that's enough speaking about United because fuck me dead. Um, <laughs> is that going to be a clip? I don't know. Is that going to be a TikTok? God knows, but we'll see. We'll see because... We'll probably come back this time in, in a month. Not even a month. This time next week. And Liverpool would have put nine past United. And Ten Hag would have been sacked. And there'd be riots. But who knows? Who knows? We'll only have to wait and see. But let's move on. And actually, before I move on, I'm going to take a quick break. Because my throat's actually really sore. So I'm going to go grab a drink of water. Some Nero. And I'll be back in ten seconds for you guys. I'll be a transition. Just I won't be able to speak. If I don't grab a drink of water, so I'll be two seconds. Okay, I'm back. I feel like the constant pod. I feel like I've 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 seen the the development of my voice slowly go, or like the regression of my voice slowly go down as I speak. 
a lot um speaking to this camera into this microphone throughout the week a lot but i've had my drink of water let's continue um let's move on to the other game that happened on the weekend and the game that involved my team and the game that i spoke about before i started this podcast that i wanted to speak about in depth i say in depth we're 35 just over just just around about 35 minutes in i'm not going to speak about this in depth i don't want to keep you here for too long but it's chelsea spurs and i just before I I just don't think I don't think I've seen a bigger robbery in sport or maybe a more blatant robbery in sport. <laughs> so if you didn't watch the game, which if you didn't, that's fine. God, I'm not your mum, like I can't tell you what to do. But like that that was and I try not to say this lightly, and I try not to, and I try to say this being neutral, that was the Biggest domination of a London derby between these two teams I've ever seen. Chelsea utterly dominated the game. Apart from a 10-minute patch in the, in the um, first half, Chelsea dominated the game. Like, utterly dominated the game. It was not even a contest. Reese James was electric, was electric shutting out that front three. Cucurella was unbelievable. Ruben Loftus-Cheek proven, has proven that he can be this utility midfielder that can be in a front three, can play in a double pivot if necessary, can play out wide if necessary. Um and then you have Sterling Havertz, both missed both missed guilt edge chances, but both were able to get in the right positions. Mason Mount was fantastic. Koulibaly was unbelievable. Um who else? Tiago Silva, excellent double pivot. Kante going off with a hamstring injury, which sucks balls like it sucks um Jorginho was fine coughed it up a few times but he was he was serviceable but the first goal came through Koulibaly getting his first goal as a Chelsea player at the bridge great goal a shed end shed end in front of the top supporters lovely 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 Spurs' goal for the first one it's offside it's offside how many times like I do I have to speak closer into the microphone do I have to live inside people's brains it's offside um go back and watch the go back and watch the actual game like the feed of the game yeah not only is it a foul on Havertz in the build-up I'm not talking talking about that that's fine whatever it's offside Richarlison stands directly in front of Edouard Mendy as the shot happens and he's in an offside position I don't know how VAR didn't come to that conclusion when they checked it, but I just, it's the blatant, most blatant offside I've ever seen in my life. Like, I just don't understand that, that whatever, like, that's fine. Um, then you have, what else? Then you have Chelsea's goal, Reese James. Good pressure from Chelsea turning the ball over, and then Reese James obviously scoring. Shit shot, by the way. Fucking directly down the throat. Luckily, luckily Lloris guessed. Because if he didn't... If he just stood still, that would be appalling. And then, obviously, the final goal comes um, through Harry Kane. Thank God it wasn't given as a Reese James own goal for my FPL sake. Um, for, for for my MPL, MPL? I just said MPL, didn't I? For my FPL. Not for my National Premier League. For my Fantasy Premier League. Um... For my FPL, I needed Kane to score, and he did. So, I mean, that's a bonus, I guess. Um, but this came before this, or after this. Now, this was, of course, in the corner before the goal. So, this wasn't the corner which Kane scored, but I don't think that makes a difference. This is the kind of quintessential violent conduct and red card offence I've ever seen in my life. Now, the reason I scream robbery is because... Let's just take the first goal out of it. Whatever. Hoiberg, great finish. Was it offside? I think it was. Who cares? That's fine. That's a goal. We'll give it, right? Whatever. This... Not only is this a red card, but they checked it with VAR, and... Anthony Taylor, is it even in this photo? As I move this photo across, is it here? There, you can see him. You can see him right here. His little fucking black shirt. The prick. The bald-headed fraud as I move this across to get my head back in main focus, in main frame anyway. He's right there. He can see Romero 
yanking on his hair. Like, uh, the fact that he didn't give that as a foul is staggering. The fact that VAR checked it and ticked it off to say it wasn't violent conduct is staggering. And not only should it have been a foul, but let's just assume, let's live in this fantasy land that, firstly, if it's a foul, there's a 99.99999% chance Chelsea win the game. Right? Unless Edwin Mendy turns around, kicks the ball in his own net, or slips over as he takes the goal kick, I doubt Chelsea lose. Right? I doubt it. Um, so, there's that. But let's just assume, let's live in a fantasy land in which the red card can be given for violent conduct on their, or black when looking back at it through their AR, and then, and then it's still a, it's still a corner. Right? It's still a corner to, 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 um, um, Tottenham. If that red card's given, Chelsea probably win the game. The reason I say that is because even if it's a corner, Chelsea have one loose man. We have one spare. We have one spare man because because that's just how it works. Because they have one less player, that means we have one extra defender, which means we probably man mark Harry Kane with two players. Just a thought, or we probably. Man mark someone which forces the delivery to be slightly different, which means it probably wouldn't have fallen to Kane, etc. etc. Like, fuck me dead. <laughs> like, the, like, I'm not even angry. I'm not even angry. And the reason I'm not angry is because at this stage, in at this stage in the league, three points it matters, of course, three points matters, but. It's not like if this happened on the second last day of the season and we're battling for top four, I'd be throwing hands. I'd be running to London and throwing hands. But it's early in the season, and if we play like that against literally every team, we win games. Like we, like I say, we probably shouldn't say that. Chelsea played unbelievable football, so Chelsea shouldn't shouldn't like be concerned about the the draw. The only thing they should be concerned about is Anthony Taylor refereeing another one of their games. But performance-wise, it was outstanding. Result-wise, not great. But, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. It's a robbery, and that's fine if you want to live in that world. Not not my problem. But this is where I wanted to touch on now. So, we obviously all know what happened. Conte and, and Tuchel have a bit of a scrap twice. Um, this, this, this provoked a thought. Top six manager hunger games, who wins? Now, now obviously we all know that Tuchel was very stern in the handshake and kind of told Conte to look him in the eyes. And then obviously that was after the full-time whistle and then the second goal, or like the first goal um, for Spurs, there was a bit of a argy-bargy between them both. Both ended up getting sent off. Tottenham, Tottenham versus Chelsea's back. It's good. I'm happy. That it's fucking fiery now because they're going to go back to to Shy Heart Lane and it's going to be on for young and old. But um, let's just go top six manager Hunger Games. So who wins in like? Let's just go to six way match. It's like a it's a it's a TLC match. Who wins between all six of these guys? Now we've obviously got Pep, Conte, Ten Hag, Klopp, Arteta, Tuchel. Now now everyone was saying who wins in a scrap between Tuchel and Conte. I think Conte's got the dog in him. Like, Conte's got that, that like, Italian, like, dog in him. But I feel like Tuchel, like, with the range, Tuchel got the range, he's German, so you know what that, like, the, just the gag and press in terms of, like, of of fighting will just overwhelm Conte, and I think Tuchel will win that. But I think in a six-way match, I think, I think, who who comes last? I think Arteta comes last. Actually, no, because Arteta's really intelligent. Speaking of Arteta, that All or Nothing documentary, fantastic, unfantastic documentary, and I'll I'll actually do I'll actually speak about it once the full the full nine episodes have come out. Um, I'll actually do a bit on the podcast about it. I feel like yeah, that'll be a good talking point. Um, but yeah, the first six episodes are magnificent. Um, but with Arteta, I feel like he's intelligent enough to like kind of hide. He'll like hide if if this is like a Hunger Games style thing. He'll like hide in the bushes or like he'll like he'll buy clothes that like resemble a tree or something. Or he'll like dig a hole into a tree and like hide in there or something. I feel like he's smart. Who who's out first? I think 
I think I think Klopp's out first, and the reason why I think Klopp's out first is because Klopp would just run. He'd probably grab like a stick or something and just run at someone, like with no real like direction. With it, like he'll just run and just like get stabbed or something. Like he'll just run full power with a stick and not really knowing what he's doing. So he'll be the first one gone. I think Pep and Arteta will like be the two managers that like don't get into conflict until the end. They're like just kind of like hiding, like in the background, just kind of like binding their time. So you have Klopp's out. Pep and Pep and Arteta will like last till the end, I think. Conte Ten Hag Tuchel. I think. I think Ten Hag stands out with the bald head. I feel like he, I feel like I know Pep's bald as well, but like Ten Hag stands out more. So I feel like I feel like also I feel like Tuchel and, and Conte will have like some sort of alliance. I think. I know they. I know they had a fight. I know they had a scrap, but they'll have like an alliance. They'll take out Ten Hag. So the final four will be Tuchel, Conte, Pep, Arteta. And I, I, th- I think Pep and Arteta work together. I think Pep and Arteta work together to get rid of Conte. Nah, to get rid of Tuchel. They get rid of Tuchel. Tuchel's a bigger threat than Conte, I reckon. And then Conte will be like, and then who turns on who? I think Arteta turns on Pep. That's what happens. Arteta backstabs Pep, kills Pep. It's Arteta Conte in the final two, and Conte wins. I think Conte wins a scrap. In terms of like, and I feel like Conte's got got the biggest like well-rounded like package in terms of if you if they were ha- to have like a Hunger Games style scrap, it'd be Klopp out first because he's just an idiot. Like he'll just run at someone just for no reason. Ten, uh, who else did I say was out? Ten Hag will be out next, just because he stands out with his bald head, and he'll probably make he'll probably run thirteen and a half k just for the sake of it, because that's what he does apparently. Um, Tuchel will be targeted by the other three, so he'll be the next out because he's the biggest threat because he's obviously like tall and lanky and stuff. Then Pep, then Arteta turns on Pep, kills Pep, and then Conte and Arteta with a fight to the death. I think Conte probably has. Yeah, Conte's got, like, the dog in him, I think. So, yeah, Conte probably wins a scrap in terms of, like, the Hunger Games top six managers. Is that, like... Although although I could see, like, Klopp just kind of, like, pick, getting a stick and just killing everyone, like, first five minutes. I don't know. Just something... Because it's something Klopp would do. Like, he'd just grab a stick. But he'd probably complain the stick was, like, too... Was too pointy or something, or like I don't know, but yeah, Conte wins a scrap in terms of the top six managers, I think. I think, although if we're talking Premier League managers, if we're talking Premier League managers, Steve Cooper's out first. Actually, yeah, Steve Cooper's out first. Um, oh, Scott Parker's out, Lampard's out, Gerrard's out, all the nice ones are out, all the English ones are out. Um, who wins? I mean, it would be like it would be Sean Dyche, but he's not there anymore. Um, who? We, Big Sam's not there. Marco Silva, nah, done. Bruno Lage, nah, doesn't. Nah, Bruno Lage will just be defensive. He won't have any offensive tactics. He won't like know how to like where to kill people. Um, who are what other managers? Patrick oh, Vieira, no Vieira. Vieira might win. Vieira's a dark horse, Pachi Vieira, in terms of manager hunger games. Anyway, um, that's enough of that, of whatever, that, that dribble. So yeah, Conte wins a scrap in terms of the top six managers, I think. Although, one-on-one, Tuchel beats Conte, but in like a hunger game style arena, Conte wins. All right. That's enough of, of whatever the fuck that was. Let's move on to who went into footed. Now, for those who don't know, Go back and watch other episodes, of course. But this is where we go back and watch. Go back and watch. We don't watch. Copyright issues, probably. Um, we go back and just see what player, manager, referee, referee, um, organization, pundit, whoever, staff member, did something dumb. And as you could probably tell by what I insinuated, it's Anthony Taylor because he robbed Chelsea of three points. So, and you should never referee Chelsea game ever again. Let's move on to the preview of the week. Um, obviously, Liverpool versus Palace. Is on tomorrow, which is good fun. Liverpool should win that. It's at home, although Palace wouldn't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't 
I won't be surprised if Palace pull, pull off an upset. Um, the Champions League qualification final stage. Who really gives a shit about that? Um, Rangers. Hopefully Rangers get in for for Pommy and Oz's sake. Check out Pommy and Oz. Why not? Um, on YouTube. He's a good he's a good fella. Good Rangers supporter him. Um, anything else? Tottenham Wolves. Who cares? Any other big games? Newcastle City and United Liverpool. So... Yeah, so Newcastle City, so the battle of, of the oil. And I can say that now because I'm not a, Chelsea aren't owned by oil anymore. Um, and United Liverpool, so that's going to be good fun. So who knows what I'll be dribbling about this time next week. Hopefully it's not a United 9-0 loss because it's really draining me at this stage. Um, thank you guys very much for watching. Make sure you subscribe and like to... So make sure you subscribe to the Two Foot Attacker Podcast if you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you like, leave your comments, leave your thoughts down below. Subscribe, of course. Follow on all the um, audio platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. Give it a five-star review. Um, follow it, thumbs it up, whatever it is on your platform. It would mean the world to me, and it helps the podcast grow. And it could turn this into something that's quite quite big, which would be lovely. Um, follow on the socials, of course, Two Foot Attacker Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Twitter, 2FTPod, um, for just basically clip and episode updates and some of my thoughts um, on the football, if if I can be bothered to tweet about them. But um, yes, thank you guys very much for watching. I'll speak to you guys next week. Um, where am I going here? The music isn't playing. The music will play now, though. See you guys next time, and goodbye.